Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey, everyone. Hope you're having a good weekend. Chuck Bryant here co-host of the podcast you're listening to. And I am in charge with picking this week's Stuff You Should Know Select episode. It is from April 2, 2013, the day after April Fool's Day. But uh, don't worry, this isn't uh, how 3D printing works when I famously fake quit and was replaced by Ben Bolin. No, no, no. This is the episode about the Panama Canal. So interesting. I love civic projects. I love huge, um, unwieldy projects that seem impossible to complete. And the Panama Canal was and is that. So I know you're going to love this one, everyone. How the Panama Canal works. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Uh, With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And that's uh, Stuff You Should Know, the podcast, the two of us together with a couple of mics mm-hmm. our voices. You know what I've been singing all day, of course. Panama. Dude, over and over. And I just whistled it, and Jerry was like, well, now I got that stuck in my head. Yeah. <laughs> when we were growing up, my sister uh, was singing it, and I realized that she was singing, turn and run. I'm like, what? What? She's like, that song, that Van Halen song. I'm like, don't be an idiot. She thought that's what they were saying? Yeah. That's so interesting, because there's so many misinterpreted song lyrics famously over the years, but I never have heard Panama as being one of them. Yeah, especially since the song is named Panama. Yeah. Yeah. Parentheses, turn and run. (laughs) Maybe they were talking about the people who were working on the um, early French effort to build a canal in Panama. Yeah. Boy, that didn't go over so well. We'll get to that. Oh, okay. Spoiler, the French didn't build the Panama Canal. (laughs) I thought we were going to get to it right now. No? All right. Do you want to talk about uh, Da Gama? Da Balboa? <laughs> which one Which one was uh, George Costanza's favorite explorer? Was it Da Gama or Balboa? Oh, man. I th- it was one of the two. I think Da Gama. Was it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, that was a funny conversation, though. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Balboa, back in the day, was, was wandering around in uh, a region called Darien, and he summited a peak there and was like, holy cow, if I look this away, I see the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And if I look at that away, I see the Atlantic Ocean. Or the Caribbean. And the only thing between these two big bodies of water is this little isthmus of land. Yeah, I'm going to have a lot of trouble with that word. That's okay. Just say strip. Okay. So this strip of land here is the only thing in between, and we should figure out a way to... Use this as a as a thoroughfare. Yeah, uh, yeah, because this 
is it. This connects There's, the world. Th- it does, exactly. At the time, the Spanish were trying to trade with the, tr- the um, Chinese, yeah. and were doing a pretty good job of it in the Philippines, and the best way to get to that was to come across the Atlantic and go into the Pacific. That's right. It worked very, very well. Yeah. And the idea of just having a place where you could go straight through rather than go all the way down South America and then back up Man, it was a, just mind-boggling. Yeah. It's like you said, it opened up the world. This guy got it immediately. The problem was it would take about 400 more years before anyone finally got around to completing it successfully. Well, yeah, and forget the rest of the world. The United States just like, hey, I want to ship this by boat from New York to San Francisco. How can I do that? I can just like kind of sneak around Florida, right? Nope. Blocked. <laughs> Right. Well, then what do I got to do? You got to go 8,000 miles, nautical miles, around South America to get to California. Right. Or, um, you know, when you, me, and I were in Nicaragua, we were in a town yeah. that in the 19th century was a way station for minor 49ers going on to California. Oh, yeah? And um, they would sail on to Nicaragua, take a train, and then ship out from Nicaragua up to California. Except the handful that was like... I think I might just kick it here. In exactly. Rock. Yeah. I bet you there were some dudes that did. That. Oh, definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was there was a, a continent in the way, and the idea that it was just this little narrow strip of land. I know. That that made a lot of people say, "This is the place to be." In the 16th or no, the 18th century, the Scottish showed up. Yeah. They tried to establish an outpost, failed spectacularly. Yeah. That's there's a great um, section in 1493 about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the Spanish were there. The uh, French were there. Uh, they established pretty good outposts there. It was very clear that this little area, which was then part of Colombia, is now present-day Panama, was going to be a hopping spot because there was no thinner portion yeah. of the North or South American continents than this one. And everyone needed to figure out a way to get through. Yeah, and it wasn't as easy as like, hey, let's just dredge all this sand and let the waters meet because that's not too hard. It's like dense jungle and mountains and the well, continental divide yeah so it's it's my first thought was like how hard could it have been i didn't realize how treacherous that area was yeah and i think that um that balboa and a lot of people who succeeded him thought the same thing like how hard is it sure it, it, but it is like that's that continental divide that's a tough thing to break through that's why they call it a divide yeah well that's <laughs> where two tectonic plates come together and yeah. form a mountain range and like that's you're cutting through not one but two tectonic plates, everybody. Wrap your head around that. Seriously. Let's talk about it because obviously we were successful eventually, but the first attempt was not. And the first attempt was by the French. Yeah. Who in the 1820s, I believe, started to undertake a uh, what is known as a sea level canal, which is basically they were going to cut their way straight through the isthmus of Panama. That's right. And canals were all the rage at the time because of steam technology. So all of a sudden, you didn't have to use the very cool and quaint towpath and have a mule walk alongside of a river or a canal. Have you ever been on one your of little those? boat? Well, yeah, a lot of them now are like jogging trails and stuff. Right. You know? Which, you know, that's great. It makes for good use. Sure, exactly. <laughs> I don't see any mules on them no. these days. But it's great that people can use these towpaths now to, you know, right. it's like a nature trail. Yeah. Um yeah, so the steam technology gave the French the idea that, hey, man, we can we can build a sea-level canal here because we can just dig right through it. We have steam. 
We don't need the, the mules for the towpaths any longer. All we need is some good steam shovels, and we're going to cut right through this continental divide, right through this jungle. And as a result of this ambition, 20,000 people died. Yeah, and um, they were able to, you know, get a little little far thanks to the, the railroad there in Panama. Believe it or not, it was the first railroad in the world to connect both sides of a continent. Right. wasn't very big, but it didn't need to be. No, right. Which exactly. is kind of great. But that allowed the French to uh, get in there. They, they were deciding between Nicaragua and Panama at the time. Um, and they said, like you said, we can do sea level. We don't need these locks. Yeah, if you look at a map of Nicaragua and look at Panama, like the idea of going through Nicaragua over Panama is just nuts. Yeah, and we'll explain how the locks work, but it essentially just raises and lowers your ship. Right, for sure. In a little, like, bay station of water that's flooded and then drained. Right. Actually, that's how a lock works. So the <laughs> uh, the French organized this thing called the Compagnie Universelle du Canal Interoceanique. Very nice. Thank you. And uh, led by a guy named Ferdinand de Lesseps, who had created a sea-level canal through the Suez yeah. that connected the uh, Mediterranean and the Red Seas. It was a big deal. Sure. So they brought him in, and he's like, sure, we'll do another sea-level canal. I'm feeling good about this. And he's like, I did the Suez Canal with my eyes closed. Exactly. Like, I can do this with one arm tied behind my back. What he didn't realize was that digging through a bunch of sand is not like digging through two tectonic plates. No. And a bunch of jungle and malaria. Uh, and like I said, 20,000 people died as a result of this. Like, this guy was like, no, we can do it. We can do it. We're going to do a sea-level canal. We can do it. And then finally he was like, I don't think we can do this. It was too late. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of people were dead from yellow fever and malaria, from accidents. Um, it's privately financed, so a lot of people lost a lot of money, too. It, exactly. It's, and this company goes under. Well, by, he, tr- uh, he tried to salvage it, though, first. He tried to hire uh, Gustav Eiffel of the Eiffel Tower fame. Right. And said, hey, I think we need those locks after all, um, and you're good at building big steel things, so can you help? And he was like, of course I can. And then it was too late, though. The, the business was done. Right. And they had done a little bit. Well, they had done a lot. They, yeah. Like, they they made 11 miles of canal up to that point. Not bad. It's about a quarter of the way there. Right. But this was the, uh, when did they start, Chuck? The 1820s? 1820s, yeah. So, Chuck, as we understand it, they started in the 1820s. Yeah. And this thing went bust by 1902, I believe. Uh, well, that's when... Congress. I mean, they were bust before that, but that's when the U.S. stepped in and said, hey, we'll buy your junk. Oh, I'm sorry. 1888. So in like 60, about 60 years, yeah. they, they had managed to dig 11 miles of canal, build a bunch of buildings. They had a lot of equipment and supplies there. Sure. Um, and yeah, the U.S. said, oh, we smell a really, really great opportunity. Yeah. And Congress said, let's spend some cash. We're feeling good about things these days. We're, we annexed Hawaii recently, yeah. Puerto Rico, Philippines. What else? How, why not take over this very ambitious yeah. project? Why, it's the American century by now. And we can stick it to the French at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> so they did this in 1902 um, with the one stipulation that said, you know what? You guys have to, Columbia controls Panama right now, and you guys have to work out a deal with them. And we tried, and that failed. So he said, you know what? We're just going to overthrow Colombia then and right. give the control to the Panamanians. Yeah, they, we supported this Panamanian independence movement and, yeah, threw off the shackles of Colombia. And Colombia's like, what did you just do? Because we gained control of 
that we, we followed that congressional mandate and gained control of this Panama Canal Zone. Basically, the swath uh, that went through Panama yeah. was considered American soil thanks to a treaty um, from, I believe, 1902, the hay bunal Varia Treaty, um, where Panama signed over the Canal Zone. There was no Spanish translation of this treaty. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the U.S. went in, overthrew Colombian control of Panama, Supported Panamanian independence, yeah. and then robbed Panama of its canal and it, Columbia in was one like, fell swoop in like a year. Yeah, and Colombia was like, "We'll just, I guess, we'll just start exporting cocaine in massive exactly. amounts. Exactly, <laughs> we'll get you back <laughs> one day." So, um, in the end, they paid about forty million bucks in 1904 for the assets of this French company, which is a lot of money back then. Sure, and about ten million dollars, um, as this very cheeky article, by the way, <laughs> did you notice? Um, it's cheeky. A little. They offered, uh, they, she referred to it as um, alimony of sorts to Panama, 10 million bucks yeah. to get, gain the rights to this canal zone. And basically, hey, we're going to run the show. We're going to finish your canal from the 11 mile mark uh, to the, you know, to the ocean yeah. where it belongs. And like you said, it, I, I think there was a certain amount of snub to it, right? Probably so. Um, but they said, you know what we got to do first, though? is we have to decide on if we can go sea level. Um, like, was it just the French were incompetent, or is it really impossible to do sea level? Yeah, like, we need to do our own due diligence, basically. Sure. And they did that, and Theodore Roosevelt uh, chose uh, Chief Engineer John Frank Stevens, and he was like, it's all about the locks, dudes. Yeah. If you want a canal here, you're going to have to go over these mountains, not through them. Right, so here's the thing, and this is just brilliant, because there was another problem with this isthmus and there's this thing called the chagres river yeah and it is very temperamental yeah it was prone to flooding all sorts of crazy stuff associated with this river so not only did you have the continental divide and the jungle and the malaria to deal with once you completed it what were you going to do with this river sure stevens came up with this great idea that you go over the mountains Mm -hmm. and you go over the mountains you kill two birds with one stone by damming the river yeah and you create a lake that will carry you over the mountains. Gatun Lake. Yeah. I'm sure that's not pronounced correctly. I, think about that. That is one of the most brilliant feats of engineering I've ever heard of. The Panama Canal? Yeah, but that specific aspect of it. Oh, sure. Damming the, the river thing. to create a lake so you can go over the mountains. Yeah. That's just incredibly beautiful. The whole thing, too. And at the time, dude, in the early 1900s, it's just like, it's amazing that they could pull yeah. this off. Yeah, because they're all wearing, like, knickers and stuff. Yeah, it's very, there's some awesome documentaries out there, by the way, you should watch. In fact, there's one, uh, there's one cool, just uh, go to the YouTubes and uh, put in time-lapse Panama Canal. Oh, yeah? And it takes you the full route in, like, a minute and a half. Nice. Instead of eight to ten hours. And it's kind of neat. You know, the boat goes in and sinks and then... Not sinks, but right. <laughs> lowers and then raises, and yeah. then it tools along in the lake for a little while, and then sinks and lowers and raises, and yeah, because boom. it's like an eight to ten hour transit, right? From uh, from deep water to deep water, eight to ten hours, yeah, yeah, depending on your boat, I guess. Once you finally get clearance to go through, that's right. So he's dammed up the river, created Gatun Lake. Yeah, um, ships going toward the Pacific, gonna enter at uh, Limon Bay in the Caribbean. Go through a couple of locks upward, and just it's like walking up steps basically. Yeah. Except it's a big boat and it's done with water. Yeah. And then they navigate through that lake for a little while and then go toward Panama City through another series of locks and down, down, down over the mountains. And boom, you are 
connected to the rest of the world. Right. So when they when they um, agreed on the lock method, they had one other thing to handle. And I wonder that if that's was, why the Scots maybe they were getting confused with locks meaning lakes. <laughs> right. Maybe like, that's oh, why they forgot a the bunch ground. of locks. They're like, where are all the locks? They're like, they're right there. They're like, no, but where are the locks? Wah, wah. So uh, there was one other big problem that had uh, leveled the French effort, which was um, yellow fever. Yeah. Which you can be immune to if you're exposed to it in childhood. But if you're from New York, yeah. you're not. So you go down to Panama and you are stung by a mosquito and you die. Um, the thing is, nobody knew that it was mosquitoes until a guy named uh, Ronald Ross uh, in 1897, studied mosquitoes in India and found malaria present in their stomachs and that it was transmittable through their saliva. Yeah, they didn't know what it was. There were all sorts of uh, different theories. Yeah, they thought it was maybe from, um, like, uh, unclean living. Yeah. Uh, whatever. When they found out that it was the mosquitoes, they th- that changed everything. So they instituted this really rigid um, anti-mosquito uh, program. They cleaned up the country, basically. And basically eradicated, came close to eradicating yellow fever in the area, which paved the way for this lock system to be built. Yeah, and you can thank uh, Colonel William Gorgas for heading up that sanitation squad. And um, yeah, I mean, it worked, and that was the key, because you can't have your workers dropping dead of yellow fever every day. Right. You, you have know? to. They have to drop dead of, of landslides. Yeah, even though a lot of these workers were, you know, poor black people. I think 85% of the people that died were black. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people still died, but it wasn't like the 22,000 dropping dead from yellow fever. Right. You know. Right. But it was still a very dangerous project. Yeah. Mudslides, all, all sorts of drownings, things like that. can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi on a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
so we've got the, the we've got yellow fever licked. We've settled on the lock system. Yeah. And um, John Frank Stevens is replaced by a guy named Lieutenant Colonel George Washington Gothels. And he was a lock expert. And he looked at the plan and he said, you know what? We're going to divide this up into three sections. That makes perfect sense. It does. You've got the Pacific section that's going to be working from Limon Bay, mm-hmm. which, by the way, means lime in Spanish. Did you know that? Uh, I did not. Uh, so they're working from Limon Bay to the newly created uh, Lake Gatun. Yeah, that was the Atlantic Division, yeah. Oh, okay, you're right. So yeah. the Atlantic Division is synonymous with the uh, Caribbean. Yes. Um, and then so you've got the Atlantic Division working from Gatun to um, – or Le Mans to Gatun. You have the Central Division. This mm-hmm. is the hardest part. Yeah. They're working in Lake Gatun to basically create a channel through this continental divide. Yeah. You don't have to cut sea level, but you you do need to make sure these ships aren't going to, like, run aground on a mountain. Sure. Um and then you have the Pacific Division, which is working from uh, the end of the Continental Divide Pass, which is Pedro Miguel Locks, down to the Pacific. Right? That's right. And, like we said, the railway, the Panamanian Rail- Railroad is there. And um, we had, like, awesome gear at the time. It was it's no longer, you know, men with chisels and sledgehammers and stuff. It was steam shovels, rock drills, dynamite. And uh, they moved 96 million cubic yards of earth and rock. Right, which is 73 million cubic meters. That's right. And uh, it was really hot, though, and it was a pretty bad scene. And uh, they called that Hell's Gorge. And it was dangerous. And that's where I think most of the lives were lost on this second pass. Yeah, and that was definitely the hardest work. Um, But they made it through. Um, And by 1914... A crane that was used in the construction of the Panama Canal was the first thing to ever make it through all the way. Yeah, and they were like, sweet! Yeah, and eight months later, it was open for business, as far as I understand. Yeah, uh, big business. Um, should we should we walk people through, or I guess swim people through? Yeah, I think we should. Okay. Uh, you approach from the Atlantic. Uh, you go through the Gatun Locks. It's going to lift your vessel up 85 feet. Yes. Pretty awesome. Yeah. And take you to Gatun Lake. Very nice there. Uh, you're going to wind through that channel for about 23 miles, then enter the uh, Gallard Cut, about eight miles through there, and you're going to reach the Pedro Miguel Locks, and then they're going to lower your ship about 30 feet mm-hmm. to the Miraflores Lake. You're going to pass through this. It's about a mile long. And then the two-step Miraflores Locks are going to return you finally back to sea level a seven-mile passage from there to the Pacific, mm-hmm. and all told, you've gone 50 miles in about eight to ten hours. Yeah. And um, mind-bogglingly, I saw that it takes 52 million gallons of fresh water to move a ship from one end to the other. Wow. 52 million. And they're getting all that from Lake Gatun. Yeah, and it's just, I imagine it's just recycled back into the system, right? No. What is it? What happens to it? They lose it, most of it. It's it it's either pumped back in, it either goes flows back into Lake Gatun, uh-huh. or else it flows out into the oceans. Oh, okay. Uh, which is not necessarily good. They're worried that Lake Gatun may become brackish. Oh, yeah. And Lake Gatun is now the freshwater supply of Panama, and it it they're using a lot of it up. Yeah, well, it's always presented a bit of an environmental quagmire, right? Um, especially with their plans to expand, which we'll get to. But right now they have two way traffic. Um, they're looking to make that uh, a three-lane highway. 
which would actually adding that third lane um, will double the amount of traffic. Yeah, which is crazy. You would think it would increase it by a third. Yeah, may, I don't know. Maybe it's wider. Oh, maybe. Maybe it allows for two ships at a time. They or just something. jam like eight in there at once. I don't know. I do know that if you are a large enough ship, they don't let you drive yourself because, you know, you got one drunk sea captain and all of a sudden your locks are out of commission. Right. So they use uh, electric towing locomotives to tow those big bad boys. Right. And we should say just briefly with the locks, if you want to move a ship upward, you flow into a lock. The lock closes behind you, mm-hmm. and it fills up with water yeah. so that you can float over the lip of the next higher lock. Mm-hmm. The, the gate closes behind you with that one, and it fills in with water and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's remarkably basic. Yeah, and then the opposite takes place when you're stepping down. Yeah. It's just basically going into a little square pool, uh-huh. raising or lowering the water level so you can go up or down. It's really neat. Yeah, and if you've got a minute and a half to kill, you can take this voyage yeah, right. in high speed on the YouTube. So, uh, like we said, the uh, U.S. used gunboat diplomacy to, and I guess good old-fashioned, old-timey 1902 swindling sure. to uh, gain control of the Panama Canal Zone. And it had complete control until 1979 when Jimmy Carter... Um, Malays forever, right? <laughs> Did you ever see that Simpsons? Uh-uh. They unveil a, a statue of Jimmy Carter, and it <laughs> says Malays forever on the base. And one of the townspeople goes, he's history's greatest monster. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, Carter negotiated with the uh, leader of Panama at the time, uh, General Omar Torrios Herrera, and said, hey, how would you like this thing back? Give us I, 20 years. I think they said, hey, we'd like this back. I, I like to think of... Um, American magnanimous. Okay. Right? Sure. So we said, you know what? We've had it for this long. Plus, plus, we're talking Carter. It's entirely possible. He just That's started true. contacting people and said, what does the U.S. have that we can sell yeah. or give back? That's a good point. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he sold like one of the – like the, the presidential yacht was sold by him. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Because he thought it was frivolous? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and Panama Canal. He's like, how about this? Let's get rid of a significant portion of our, our economy. Anyway, he gives it back after 20 years. And on December 31st, 1999, which is why I suspect they made it a 20-year deal. Yeah, I mean, they had to transition. You can't just hand the keys over and be like, all right, send your crew in. Right, but not only that, like, why not a 15-year deal or an 18-year deal or 10-year deal? They went with 20 because it was going to end on December 31st, 1999. Oh, a new millennium. The whole yeah. Thing. Oh, actually, that didn't start till 2001, though, right? Yeah, but, you know. Okay. So it's symbolic. Right. Okay. So the Panamanians take over yeah. and um, immediately start taking flack because the thing's aging. Traffic's jammed up. Yeah. They've done a good job with it, though. It's it's just by nature of how things are these days. They're victims of circumstances. Yeah. Um, and 5% of the world's trade goes through the, the Panama Canal. We sold them a lemon of a canal. <laughs> right. They're, the millionth ship um, went through in 2010. Uh, 144,000 ships go through a year. And it's a very narrow little strip. Yeah. You know what that means? Waiting in line. A lot yeah. of waiting in line. Plus, also, there's an upper limit to the size ship that can go through it's called panama panamax yeah is the is the ship size i've never heard of that yeah what a great name for the biggest ship that 
You right. know, Panamax, what could be bigger than that? Well, these ships that are called post-Panamax. Exactly. A lot of uh, shippers are like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. It's actually going to be more uh, economical for me yeah. to build a ship that can't go through the Panama Canal but yeah. can hold a lot more. And I'll just sail around the, the um, lower part of South America. Yeah. And um, that's kind of increasingly happening. Plus, Nicaragua threatened to open their own canal. So Panama says, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's let's hold a referendum and see if we can expand this thing and modernize it and save the canal. And Panamanian said, yes, let's. So in 2006, they approved this third lane. Yeah. It's expected to be open by 2014. Uh, is Nicaragua still planning a canal? I don't know. I don't know if that shot it down or not. Well, and there's also talk now of a northwest passage, thanks to... Um, what climate some people change. might say is climate change and melting uh, ice caps. There yeah. may be a way to get there um, by land. Henry Hudson is clapping in his grave. <laughs> um, so we'll see if that happens. I don't know. I didn't get a chance to really look into that research and, like, how real is that. Right. Even still, the Panamanians will probably make their um, $5.25 billion investment back eventually. Although it took the U.S. a good 40 years to make $400 million back. Yeah, yeah, I think the 1950s was when they finally broke even, huh? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And um, you break even by charging a toll. I don't think we even mentioned that. You obviously, like any way station or, mm-hmm. or uh, passage, you got to pay according to how, what, how much stuff you got. Right. And it's like, I think the record is, I looked it up, it was like 150000 or something. Yeah, they do it by tonnage. The thing is, is if you are um, carrying a lot of really expensive natural gas. Oh, right. You're going to pay a lesser toll than if you're carrying a bunch of less expensive or even equally expensive coal, which isn't fair. And if you're if you're transporting a lot of raw steel, why should you pay more? So they're they're trying to figure out a new toll system, especially for the newly expanded version of the canal um, that takes into account the value of the of what's on board rather than just the weight. Right. So they should make a little more money that way. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is still accurate, but the record that I have is $153,662. Yeah. And the cheapest was when a dude swam across it, and he weighed like 150 pounds, and so they charged him, what, like 36 cents? Yeah, that, back in 1928, Richard Halliburton. And he swam the Panama Canal. And yeah. I guess it was some sort of publicity stunt. I'm sure people loved doing stuff like that back then. Yeah, but if you look at this... Um, this uh, high-speed route on YouTube, it's pretty neat. And there's a lot of times where you're like, oh, look out for that boat. And then it turns, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But there's a lot of activity out there. Yeah. You know, it's not uh, a pleasure cruise. Well, no, and it's not one ship at a time. They they have, like you said, two-way traffic, right? That's right. And they try to keep them going through as efficiently as possible. And I should say also, um, the... the uh, um, the new locks that they have yeah. can serve about 60% of the water used. So they'll ad- address a lot of environmental concerns, hopefully. I got a couple of little facts here, if you're interested. Uh, the in- entrance to the canal on the Atlantic side is 22 and a half miles west of the Pacific entrance, which is interesting. Okay. Because it has a, a unique S shape. And then um, the locks themselves are seven feet thick each. So if you're wondering how to keep out that much water, like to to basically dam up the oceans, right. you need to do it with seven-foot thick concrete. Um, 
92% of the workforce is Panamanian right now, mm -hmm. which is pretty great. And uh, that's about all I got. 60 million pounds of dynamite was used to construct this thing. That's some nice stats, Chuck. Yeah, it's not bad. Cool. You got anything else then? No, all the rest of these are kind of boring. Panama Canal. Forever. <laughs> uh, if you want to learn more about the Panama Canal, you can read this very good article on HowStuffWorks.com. Type in Panama Canal or Turn and Run Canal. See what happens when you do the latter. <laughs> um, Chuck, hold on. Let's, uh, let's take a message break, huh? You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It is time for listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this one listener mail about listener mail. Hey guys, I'm currently on the 7 train heading to Queens for Manhattan uh, after a long day of working as an auditor at a CPA firm. Um... As usual, I'm listening to your podcast. This time it was the Death Mask episode. And you were concluding with some listener mail. In this instance, it was from Martha regarding peak oil. And uh, I think Martha was talking about the auditing of oil reserves. Mm -hmm. And he says this to Martha. She was correct for the most part regarding the audit of oil reserves held by entities whose stocks may be publicly traded on the stock market. Just one thing I was so aghast by that I felt I needed to type this from my phone as I'm on the train still, the SEC does not perform any audits of its own on these companies. Huh. Uh, it is firms like the one I work for that audit these companies, uh, albeit under SEC guidelines, actually PCAOB, Public Company Audit Oversight Board guidelines, if you want to get technical. Well, yeah. Uh, the SEC may perform a type of audit, but when they do, they are usually auditing an audit firm or an audit that has already been done by an audit firm as part of some kind of investigation. What? So they'll audit an audit like the SEC doesn't audit themselves. I got you. That's the long and short of it. I said audit 12 times. Right. I've actually been through one of these audits, and it is no fun at all. For some reason, it seems everyone 
whom works at the SEC is what you stereotypically picture as an accountant with no humor. Plus the word audit loses all meaning when you hear it. (laughs) That's right. I digress though, guys. If you pull up a 10K annual filing for any public company, you can see in the audit opinion, the audit firm, which performed the audit for that particular year. Hope that clears things up, Henry Gomez. And Henry, I'm not sure if that cleared it up, but um, <laughs> if I was an accountant, I would probably say, yes, it very much cleared things up. Very nice. Uh, thank you very much, Henry. That was very nice of you to correct somebody who is correcting us. Yeah, and I'm Love sorry. That. I'm sorry you got to take that stinky seven train. Man. Is that a terrible train? Oh, dude, that one's like, it's the old red train that looks like it's about to fall off. It's like the midnight the meat train. Yeah. Have you seen that? No. What's Midnight Meat? That's a Midnight Meat train. It's got Vinnie Jones and Bradley Cooper in it. It's actually based on a Clive Barker short story. Oh, because that's an old joke between me and my friend PJ, who you've met, I believe. Yeah. He uh, at cookouts famously, PJ's a great chef, home chef. Mm-hmm. But he was so uh, he would typically take so long. We referred to his meals as Midnight Meat. <laughs> and then I made a joke about cold cooking a steak one time. Nice. It took like 24 hours. Yeah, no, this is different. Okay. This was not a slam on PJ. No, we love the midnight meat. Uh, if you have anything you want us to know, if you want to correct somebody who's corrected us, or you just want to say hi, whatever, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can always find us on our website, right? That's right. StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.